How many ears does a Vulcan have? How many? It's got the left ear, the right ear, and the final front ear. Shut up, Wesley. This is The Final Frontier, a Trexphere podcast all about fan films and fan film chewy goodness. I'd like to introduce our host and the brains behind this operation, uh, Adam Mullen. <laughs> he forgot. My Did name. you have to look up his name? <laughs> I just, I just woke up. I'm a little, I'm a little groggy. Oh this, the snow, the snow, man. The snow, it's snowpocalypse. So say hello to the brains of the operation, Adam Mullen. Hi. Hi. And our guest interviewee, the man we're all here to talk to, Randy Landers. Hello, guys. Hi. And gals. And I'm the reason why Adam needs nine different editing programs on his computer to make this show sound coherent. I'm Bill Allen. <laughs> it's actually not that far-fetched. <laughs> yeah. You should look at the audition, man. It's, it's work, works works yeah, for me. I've got audition. I've got premiere. I'm using audacity. Whatever I can use to uh, to make Bill look good. Yeah. But you told me you weren't videotaping, so how are you going to make him look good? Oh, well, that's the what? first make step is audio good. only. Yeah, make him sound good. Yeah. Yes. Right. My mama always said I had a face that was born for radio. <laughs> My mama always said, quit wasting your time and leave that Star Trek stuff alone. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so uh, we go to uh, our news. Do we have any any awesome news in Star Trek land? Uh, We have news. It may or may not be awesome. Quentin Tarantino Mm -hmm. is in serious talks to be directing the next new Star Trek movie. How do we feel about that? Um, I am ambivalent. When he makes a movie, it's either really, really good or it's really, really god-awful. Usually when he tries to go artsy-fartsy, he makes the god-awful stuff. When he's just trying to make some simple popcorn fare, he ends up adding depth and nuance to it that makes it more than just a a popcorn flick. Mm -hmm. Honestly, I figured he'd be better suited to make a Star Wars movie because... He's yes, he's a Trekkie, but he's also like a huge cinemaphile. He makes so many references to, to classic movies and, and genre inspiring movies. And and when you look at the stuff that George Lucas used to influence the original Star Wars movie, a lot of those uh, samurai films and the old spaghetti westerns and things like that, that's the kind of stuff that is uh, straight up Quentin Tarantino's milieu. So he could really do Star Wars and give it the classic Star Wars feel. I have no idea what he's going to do with Star Trek. It's got a pretty good shot of being good. Apparently, Patrick Stewart said in an interview that if Quentin Tarantino was directing, he'd be interested in reprising his role as Captain Picard. So if Patrick Stewart says it's a good idea, let me be the sheep-like fan and do whatever the captain says. (laughs) Randy, do you have any thoughts on this? Um, Tarantino likes to steal from Japanese movies in particular, so um, I would love to see what he does, such as Goku the Monster from Hell. He loves that one. Um, Of course, 
Lucas stole from the Dam Busters, a British movie about trying to blow up a dam where they were the Germans were producing heavy water. It's the attack scene from, of the Death Star almost. I, I, I am always looking forward to seeing what directors will do. Um, if you had told me Seth MacFarlane would make a better Star Trek than J.J. Abrams, I would have laughed at you. Yeah, I honestly would have liked to have seen another one by Justin Lin. He, it surprised me. I mean, did you like Neon? I, I actually did. It, the, the story was the kind of story you'd expect from an old episode. You know, they they were debating whether or not, uh, you know, working together, relying on others, was a weakness or a strength, and that, that's the kind of subtle thing that does. And he had a lot of those touches. His his visualization of warp drive looked probably closer to what a warp drive would have looked like. There were a few things that were just bizarre, the the fisheye lens looking at the weird angle of the ship during launch and things like that. Um, but everybody used to make fun of him because he was from Fast and Furious. But when you watch Fast and Furious, Fast and Furious is basically Star Trek on a drag strip. It's an action-adventure series that has an underlying plot that's all about some kind of moral question. In Fast and Furious, the question was, should you do what's right or should you do what's legal? And that was the issue the undercover cop had to wrestle with as he bonded with the criminals he was investigating. And that's the kind of question that Star Trek tackles. Not with undercover cops and drag races, but with aliens and fast starships. I am surprised that you liked Beyond. I have met so few fans that like Beyond, and I don't understand it. I think it's probably the second best. Yeah, I've, I've, I've run into it the other way. Most of the people who don't like Beyond wrote off all the new movies right away, and they don't like any of them, and they just tell you that over and over again, so it looks like a lot of people don't like it. <laughs> it reminds me of that episode of Family Guy where uh, Rush Limbaugh accuses Brian of being a contrarian, and it, it, that's exactly what these fans are doing. They're being contrarian. Arr, we can't stand Star Trek. This isn't the way it's supposed to be. And, you know, if you don't like it, don't watch it. Yeah. I, I, I've given Discovery a couple of chances. and I don't like it, so I don't watch it. But God forbid me from trying to tell you that you can't watch it and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. See, and that's, that's the part that's missing is those guys that are all uh, live and let live about what they don't like. It's like there, there's three kinds of fans out there. there. There's the kind like me who soaks up anything with the Star Trek name. There's the kind that uses Star Trek as a stick to beat other people over the heads with to demonstrate how superior they are. And then there's the fans like you who like what they like and don't give people a hard time over what they don't like. And when they see something they like, they decide they're going to make some more of it. Yes, which is why we're here today. Look at that. I segued us right in like I know what I'm doing. I segue. Extra points for that. This week's question of the week is, which ship was not a participant in the war games assigned uh, to field test the experimental M5 computer? Uh, was it A, the USS Constitution, B, the USS Potemkin, C, USS Hood, or D, USS Lexington. So you get to think about it. Um, you know, if you have the answer, that's great. But we'll come back. All right. All right. 
and uh, we can begin the interview. So, Randy, when did you first start watching Star Trek? Uh, 1966. I was five years old. I was in uh, first grade, and Star Trek came out, and my parents watched it, of course, the week before to make sure that, because back then parents watched stuff the week before to make sure it was worth watching. And the following week, they introduced me to Star Trek. Um, I may have teasingly said my mom told me not to do stuff with Star Trek, but now they've been very supportive, and um, my parents were fans as well. And once I saw it, I was hooked. Bill, do you have a follow-up question? Uh, yeah, um... I wasn't there for the original air date. I grew up with Star Trek on reruns. So if I remember correctly, they had, had, they aired Man Trap first when they went live, right? Mm-hmm. So the first episode your parents saw was the one with the salt vampire. And then they came and said, yeah, this isn't too scary for a kid. Really? Um. I don't think that that's the first one that they saw. Um, and I'll tell you, Georgia was, um, we, were, we grew up, I grew up in Atlanta, in Metro Atlanta. And I think they had a different air date. I think there was some special that they ran the first week. Oh, okay. So it wasn't Star Trek that they saw. They didn't see the man trap until much later. As far as scary, um, before that, they were letting me watch The Outer Limits, which was pretty freaking scary. So um, the the Man Trap is basically an Outer Limits episode anyway. Yeah, okay. That, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I guess relative to The Outer Limits or The Twilight Zone, the monsters in Star Trek were... Well, you know, it, it's... I didn't mean to interrupt, but... It reminds me of um, what made me fall, fall in love with Star Trek is the monster of the week in um, when we learn that the Horda is not just killing things. It's mom and it's defending its young. And Devil in the Dark by Gene Elkoon is to me one of the greatest episodes of Star Trek because, you know, that and the errand of mercy with a little twist at the end as well. That's what I love about Star Trek. And that's what made me a fan. And it's what made my parents fans. Are they, uh, are they still with us, your parents? or? Dad passed away a couple of years ago from a stroke. My mom is 80 years old and was over here last, uh, well, for Thanksgiving. That's two weeks then, I guess. And, um, she was. We, we watched the BBC is running or BBC America is running Star Trek the original series, and they're leaving the commercials alone. But they're so the episodes are running about seventy minutes instead of sixty, and they've got the newer special effects. Mom, Mom and I are both kind of torn about those newer special effects, but man, they do look good. So. Um, we were pleased as punch to sit there on Friday evening and watch some Star Trek. Yeah, I've seen a, a couple of episodes with those new effects, and 
I think it's interesting how they made it look better without try- making it look like it wasn't the 1960s. They, they somehow held on to it, it. Doesn't it's not like a jarring disconnect from the live footage they used. Yeah, it's not, and I like seeing the different ships and the different planets. Every planet had its own unique thing, rather than the generic green swirly planet that we see every week. Yeah. Oh, it's blue this week. Oh, it's red this week. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. I, I, I can do that in Photoshop, guys. <laughs> yeah, the first episode of uh, Potemkin that I watched, it was a green swirly planet in the background. <laughs> it was, wasn't it? Uh, let me guess. Did you see, um, oh, green swirly planet? Was it, um, um, delivery by any chance? It was, it was, it was the old, the old guys, the, the little vignette. Oh, the old guy. Yes, there is a green swirly planet in that one, too. Yeah, I, I just, I kind of binge watched through most of, uh, Potemkin this week just to know what I was talking about when I came in. It's, Potemkin was fun today. So how did you get into fan films? Um, that's funny. Um, if this were video, I would turn the camera around. I am the editor-in-chief of Orion Press, and I've been publishing Star Trek fanzines since 1979. I have a FanQ award-winning number of zines. Um, we sold probably nearly a hundred thousand of the things um, everything from original Star Trek to Deep Space Nine and Voyager lots of Star Trek The Next Generation um, and then um, I lost a lot of interest in modern Trek when Endgame came out from Voyager I got a kind of got ticked off and I said, okay, well, and I stopped doing the modern Trek and just concentrated on classic Trek. And then I was reading this thing called Paragon's, an article in a magazine called Paragon's Paragon. And the next thing you know is I'm looking at these guys, and it's it's a Super 8 movie, and they have made some really cool stuff. It looks like an adaptation of James Blish's Spock Must Die. And I'm reading, and I'm like, you know, I wonder what that's about. So I go on the Internet, and I find the Farragut film, and I watch Farragut, uh, um, the first episode of Farragut, and I watched an Exeter, and I watched Phase, uh, well, it's, it was New Voyages at that time. And I said, you know, I can do that. And I said, you know, I've got writers, I've got so I've got editing, and next thing you know is we. I, I said, let's do this, and everybody, Ricky Thompson and Van Buchanan, they helped me build the bridge, and they said, you, th- you think this is going to work? And I said, I don't know. And we get a cast assembled of actors, stage actors from Albany, Georgia, and including Jeff Green, who's the drama professor at uh, Georgia Southwestern State University, and an actor... Um, who's done work in Hollywood, who's done stage. He's a Kennedy Center uh, awards winner. And we we sat there and figured out, we can do this. And, you know, when you can 
when you can sit there and say, gosh, we can do this, and then the next thing you know is we started writing more and more. And I think we got the training wheels off by the end of the first season, and we've been going ever since. So what is Potemkin Pictures? Because it's not, it's not just Potemkin, right? No. When we, in, um, Adam, in 2013, this guy walked in and bought my business. I was a print shop. Just bought my business. And I'm like, okay. And I took the proceeds and created a studio and actually filmed commercials for various TV stations in South Georgia while building a Star Trek studio. And uh, the Star Trek stuff is non-profit, but, you know, I was making commercials for people. And... Um, in 2015, a couple of years later, after I get the studio built, of course, my wife says, um, we need to move to Birmingham. I'm taking a job there. And I'm like, oh, my studio. And she says, well, move it. And I'm like, okay. And we moved to Birmingham on February 13th, 2015. And uh, within two months, I had contacted a number of local fans and there were more well Birmingham is 14 times the size of Albany in terms of population so I had 14 times the number of people wanting to do Star Trek films and so we had to let Potemkin they did, the actors from Albany didn't want to drive over here to film and I don't blame them it's 240 miles so we got the local actors, and it was far too many for one production. So I said, well, let's create a bunch of productions. And so now there's probably a whole whole bunch of productions. And we're still zero budget. We're still not making any money. I stopped making commercials because local, with a town this size, there's plenty of video commercial operations um, I actually drive for Uber and Lyft right now <laughs> <laughs> and I work part time doing that and then I come home when I feel like it or go to work when I feel like it and the rest of the time I'm over here working like last night yesterday was a snow day I, I finished an episode of a new production what can you tell us about that Triton is a little different than our other productions. Um, we've got several different productions. Triton's function is a diplomatic ship. And so we wanted to introduce um, Janice Rand. We have an actress who's, well, a beginning actress, and she's a model, and she's wanting to get into acting, and we're like, okay, we can do this. So we invited her over, and we had a guy who's been playing a Commodore in a couple of our episodes. And he said, dude, you're in command. Here's your new first officer. We're going to have an introductory little thing. And we shot it. It looks good. Uh, sounds good. And I've sent it off to be scored today, in fact. Um, but the Triton's mission is going to be diplomacy. And we've already seen the Commodore have a diplomatic mission already, and he's going to have more. Um, we're hoping that 
diplomacy is going to be an interesting thing because, you know, diplomacy is the skill of talking other people into doing what you want. And that's going to be Commodore Allwine's mission in life is to get everybody to behave. Um, I watched a little bit of uh, Kupak, which is your um, Klingon series, Klingon battle cruiser. And then, of course, I watched Potemkin, which is a uh, constitution class. Yes. And uh, then you've got some others. I haven't watched any of them yet, but uh, if you give us a quick uh, rundown, uh, Tristan. Tristan is a delivery service ship. Their function is to deliver supplies to various colonies. All of our episodes, I'm sorry, all of our short films now take place in Quadrant 9, Sector 72, and they're all delivering. It's 40-some-odd it's planets that are Federation colonies, and there's always something going on. The Tristan's function is to make deliveries, though. They'll deliver medical supplies. They'll deliver um, uh, parts, and, uh, machine parts that the colonists might need. They'll occasionally investigate, where did the shipment of radon go? That sort of thing. Um, but it's a delivery ship. And um, its current cap, well, its first captain that we introduced was Captain Walker, who is... Um, He's kind of a country bumpkin of captains, and uh, he, a lot of people didn't like him, and then they realized that he is just, just a big old hillbilly in space. Um, but um, Keith decided after filming for two years he wanted to go on and do some photography instead, and I said, okay, so his executive officer, who is a woman, has become... A, the, a captain and she'll, her episodes will be her films i got to stop saying episodes they tell me her films will start coming out in 2018 um, aside from just we have Demos which is a police cruiser and these guys go around and they, they bust you for trespassing on a planet or they'll bust you for um speeding through a star system of heavily trafficked sort of thing. It is literally a police cruiser. Kupak is the battle Klingon battle cruiser, and we actually tell, tell stories from their point of view. And, you know, not every... What is our tagline? Not every story in the Alpha Quadrant has the, involves the Federation. Um, the Klingons have their own thing. We have one of those per year. We have a hospital ship. We have the Marie Curie. It's a hospital ship. We've got a um, exploration ship like the Enterprise and like the Potemkin. It's uh, another Constitution ship. It's the Endeavor. It comes out once a year, and that one is really a. It's an outer limits type show. Um, one a year sounds like we wouldn't be able to tell a lot of character stories, but we can tell some outer limits stories. And um, we actually have one in the works that and this will be an exclusive. I haven't mentioned this to very many people. Uh, the Alexander is a warship. It's uh, like the Enterprise B, and um, their first production was shot locally um, using 
professional actors that wanted to do a Star Trek film that were told that they, um, that they didn't have the sets, they didn't have the budget. We don't have the sets, and we don't have, well, we don't have the budget, but we got sets. And we invited them to come down here from Atlanta and Huntsville and Meridian, and they all came here, came together, and shot a a pretty solid Gorn production. Very cool. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. Um, I actually have nothing to do with it other than the fact that uh, we'll release it on our uh, channels and everything. But it's their it's their baby. I got to meet Indiana Fuentes, who is a um, what do they call those guys? They're on The Walking Dead. They're is it the Messiahs or something like that? Um, oh, saviors. Yeah. Saviors, yeah. He's a savior, and I'm like, wow, cool. So I got to intro- I got to meet him and a couple of other actors and actresses, and I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with their Star Trek story. Were there are there any plans for multi ship crossovers? We've done a few. In fact, um, in the final episode, and I can say episode for Potemkin, the final episode of Potemkin, you can actually see three of our other ships, the Demos, the Tristan, uh, and uh, the Endeavor, all three show up for rescue operations for the crew. Um, I haven't quite finished watching all of them yet, so... Oh, I don't, oh I've <laughs> given you the wrong ending. I've blown the ending for you. I'm no, blown. you don't. You're not blowing the ending for me. It's like, hey, I want to see a crossover. Hey, guess what? There is a crossover. There is so a crossover, it. and there's <laughs> going to be more. The actors um, are designed... The actors are basically cast for a series, but, like, Poro, Poro uh, Zach Weiss, who's, like, 20 years old, He's five foot eleven. He weighs maybe a hundred and ten pounds. He looks like a very young Leonard Nimoy. And you know, Zach, gotta put some ears on you. Oh, what series am I in this week? And he has he ha- he gets to play the guest Vulcan. But every once in a while, we pulled a um, um, one of those gray masks from the one of the um, costume stores over his head. And, He's a gray in one episode. He's just like, what the dark, dark? He's just, it's hilarious. And he puts himself into every role. And, you know, I think he's been in just about every one of our series as an alien or a Vulcan. Yeah, fan film equivalent of Doug Jones. Or or Whit Bissell or, uh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Doug Jones is a much better, I've got to tell him that. He'll like that. Um, because it's 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 just perfect that he's got the right body type, and he's you know one of the things about our sets is people think that they're um, oh they're small sets they're smaller when you're here believe me they're actually they film much larger than they are and he fits so perfectly on those sets. You come in here with a six foot four actor like Lee. Drew plays one of our security chiefs in uh, Demos. Lee's having a hard time fitting onto that set. It's like, Lee, you need to you need to kneel down so I can shoot this. No, no, Randy, I, I'm not kneeling. 
So I've got them out there right now. There, there's a work day out on the bridge set, and it's to construct bulkheads over the top of the set so that I can shoot from the lower deck up at him without seeing the ceiling and rafters of the bridge. Uh, <laughs> the it's He's like, why do I have to do this? I'm like, because you're the part of the problem. <laughs> so... <laughs> Now, as I'm as I'm working my way through the Potemkin, I mean, one of the things I've noticed that's that's kind of impressed me. Without, I mean, I don't always notice it because I'm watching a story and you tell some great stories. But the uh, some of the the background digital effects, the terminal displays on computers, the one in the uh, turbo lift, things like that. Are you filming with uh, green screens? No. Or are you just digitally adding that stuff over, like a physical, so the actors see something there? You know what they originally I was going to put in green screens, and every freaking actor I had, Rachel, Jeff, Mario, um, they all said, "No, no, you can't put a green screen. I want to see what I'm looking at." So there's a a printout. We used to, we had a I still have access to wide format color printers. And we would print out a 10 by 12 applique, and we would adhere it to the flat of the bridge, and then that way they could interact with the panel. Um, and it was wonderful. And it was a pain in the backside. <laughs> See, I'm actually being very polite and being family friendly. Yeah. Um, it was a tremendous pain. And God knows I love Andy Ross, but he's got this flowing Jesus hair. And I'm like, what? What? How in the heck am I supposed to feather this so that it doesn't interfere with the screen? Because invariably he would spin around dramatically and his hair is partially blocking the monitor. <laughs> and I'm sitting there in post-production posting a animation, a cartoon animation over that monitor. And it's like, my goodness, do you know how hard it is to mask somebody's flowing Jesus hair? It is like, uh, you, 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 you really want to get out there with the clippers to fix it. <laughs> <laughs> and he'll have a beard, and he'll be twiddling his beard or pulling his hair, and I'm like, dude, stop it. Um, the girls were the same way. Rachel, um, Abby, now Abby had very short tomboy, page boy cut hair. And so she was actually very easy to, to mask security behind her. And Rachel was fairly easy, but some of the girls, I never knew what Stephanie Burke, who was a weather woman at Channel 31 in Albany and, and our communications officer, she chose the name Sharon and Tumay because Sharon would be sharing and Tumay means communications. So her name, Sharon M. Tume, means sharing communications. She did that all on her own. So I'm like, what hairstyle is that? I, do you like it? And I'm like, no. 
be honest, though, when we got here in this studio, this we're in Studio 3 right now. When we got to Studio 3, um, I, I put it out there. I'm putting in real monitors, and I need to collect donations for real monitors. Within two hours, I had donations for real monitors because everybody was so frustrated with the cartoons behind their heads. And I'm like, okay, so I ordered some monitors, and we now have the current series, uh, Tristan, Demos, Endeavor. Um, they all have real monitors, real live-action monitors. Those cartoons that we had running now are running in the background. And they look great. <laughs> and I'm not having to paste around Andy's hair. <laughs> and the actors love it because, like, Kristen came in. Um, Kristen, who plays Tenoshi, Kristen Woods, wonderful actress, she came in the other day. You can see it with little piddly doobly bops on her head, like little buns. And she had one bun on one side, one bun on the other, and purple running down between them. And I'm like, Okay. And she says, do you like them? And I'm like, I love them. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm not having to animate around them. It's fine. Very first episode I watched, uh, the old old guys, uh, you're on the bridge with a broken captain's chair. Yes. Was the captain, did you intentionally have a loose captain's chair to set that joke up? Or did the captain's chair break and you made up the joke to explain it? Um, it didn't break. It's an office chair, like the one I'm sitting in, like the one you're probably sitting in. And I built this frame around it. I wanted it to spin. I wanted it to have wheels, casters. I wanted it to be able to go wherever it needed to. And I built this frame about it and blast it. You know, Bill, I was so happy with that. I was so proud of the thing. <laughs> and I sat down in it. And went, rick, rick, rick. and I'm like, oh, God, no, 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 no. So it became a joke. Um, that, that's, that's always the kind of thing I love to see. It's like, you know, something goes wrong, and you make it work. Uh, lightning round just from the hip uh, as quick as you can. Um, which Captain's Chair is your favorite? Okay. I love the motion picture error, so I would say the motion picture Rathacon Bridge. Um, as far as the captain's chairs that we have now, they're all gaming chairs, so they're all pretty much the same. But I love, I, I, I really love me some Search for Spock upholstered captain's chair. <laughs> Everyone else likes Star Trek VI, and I, I kind of like that one, but I, I, Rathacon is my favorite set. You know, comfort, functionality, and classic style. And, and cool cool upholstery. And rich Corinthian leather. All right, since you're an Uber driver, uh, which of the uh, newer shuttles did you like more, the Delta Flyer or the Runabout? Runabout. All right, your, your fan films cover a wide variety of ships. What's your favorite style of Starship? Um, I like the... Re- what was called the refitted ones, the ones with the nacelles from Star Trek The Motion Picture. Of our current episodes, I really dig the Phobos, uh, which is the Demos. The Demos is a Phobos-class cruiser. Um, 
it's a wonderful model and it's just it's just it's just got that huge photon torpedo uh rack underneath it as well i love that ship that's the police cruiser it, it, yeah, it looks like a like a souped up uh nx01 yeah almost. it really does it does and that 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 photon torpedo we haven't used it yet We've got one coming up where it's going to be used. It's going awesome. to be awesome. Yeah, it is. It really is. We're filming that one in January, so it'll be out probably by October of next year. And it's going to be that that photon torpedo. It's going to be used. Very cool. All right, and final question: What's your favorite color, Swirly Planet? Swirly planets. I kind of like purple, and we haven't used it yet. Because I've been saving it for something special, and it will it will appear. I, somebody told me there are no purple noble gases, and blah 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 blah. blah. Does it matter? It's purple. Well, if there's a red noble gas and a blue noble gas, and they're on the same planet. Yeah. Well, no, no. <laughs> I, my point is, is there could be algae of some sort in the atmosphere, making it look purple. Yeah, that's. I'm really looking forward to doing that one. Little prince in the background, a little purple rain. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's let's go to the the question of the week. <clears throat> Which ship was not a participant in the war games assigned to field test the experimental M5 computer? The Constitution, Potemkin, Hood, or Lexington? I'm going to guess Constitution. How about you, Bill? I'm going to guess the same thing. You're both right. Yay. Well done. And here's a bonus question. Who created the M5 computer? Dr. Richard Daystrom. Bill? Yes. Yep, yep. Again, both both right. Too easy, huh? Those are. Constitution Honestly, never appeared, yeah. Yeah, that's that was my thing. It's like I didn't think the Constitution came along as a name until later. <laughs> I was kind of wanting to guess Potemkin. Like, maybe that was your, like, uh, theme for the week since we're talking about Potemkin. It was the one ship that wasn't there getting blown up by the M5. <laughs> and that, of course, comes from uh, TOS Season 2, Episode 24, The Ultimate Computer. I want to add one more thing, guys. Okay. We are looking for submissions. Um, that was one of your questions. Uh-huh. I, we are looking for submissions. Um, the episode that I edited last night was written for a fanzine about 10 years ago. A Janice Rand fanzine, and it never got published. And here we are. We made it into a movie, and we're looking for stories. If the well, story is good, we will make it work. I will. I will be contacting you because I like to write scripts. <laughs> we we love them. Yeah, we were kind of pressed for time, so we did skip over a couple of those uh, final interview questions, and I feel bad for throwing my weird stuff out there about the chair. But <laughs> The chair is a wonderful story. And, you know, of all the things that I left in Albany, I, I regret leaving that damn chair. <laughs> I, wanted, I didn't think about it because I thought I was going to make one more trip to pick up the rest of the furniture, and... It wasn't in the budget. I mean, it was. It's you know, moving moving equipment with a rental truck costs hundreds of dollars per trip, especially when you're doing 240 miles. And I left that chair, and I donated it to another production that never got off the ground. I left the bridge there for them, 
and they took the bridge apart and made it into a shuttlecraft. I, I, I just okay, whatever, <laughs> whatever. All right, thanks for listening, boys and girls. This has been another exciting episode of the Final Frontier. He forgot the name of the show. I didn't. For, I was almost going to say. Bill. I, I, I almost said the wrong thing. I was like, Adam, you're this not is, paying him enough. <laughs> this is. I was about to say this is the Potemkin Project. No, this is the <laughs> this is the Project Potemkin interview on the Final Frontier. Guys, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for having us. Thank you so much, Randy Landers. Folks, please check out the Facebook page for Potemkin Projects and his other fan films. They've got a lot of good stuff in the works. It really is a fantastic film worth checking out. So we'll make sure to include some links to his stuff uh, included when we publish this episode. Um, check us out on Facebook. Uh, you can find our episodes on YouTube and on uh, the iTunes store. And as we close, I just want to say, and that's the way it is.